Well, hey, friend, and welcome to The Messy Table, what we like to say is an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. Because as you already know, we live in a world and a culture at a time in history when things are complex, where we're constantly busy and moving from one thing to the next. But we need spaces in our lives where we can slow down and connect, where we can pull up to a table with like-minded women, share our burdens, remember who God says we are, learn from each other, and just be. So that's what we're about. And if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I am just a regular gal who has the honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a fresh story of hope, as well as a unique perspective into your world and your speakers every other Tuesday. Y'all, we are partnered with the Women of My Church Life Church, where we're also big-time fans of the YouVersion Bible app. God's Word, literally in our back pockets, for free. But at our core, we simply love locking arms with women from all over who have known the grace of Jesus and are willing to share a piece of their story. And with me today as my co-host is a longtime friend, Kristen Gibson, who's a wife and a mom and a registered dietitian, who over the years, we've gotten to serve together, plant churches together, watch our kids grow and our boys play basketball against each other. And Kristen is just one of those women who is so genuine, so kind, so surrendered to God. And today I'm super thankful because Kristen is connecting us with a friend of hers who has an absolutely fascinating story. Can you imagine taking a seemingly harmless DNA test for fun, only to discover that you're not exactly who you thought you were and there are actually strangers out there who share your genetic makeup. Well, that is exactly what happened to our guest, Amy Williams, just a few years back when she received the shock of her life. But even when things get wild and messy and even a little Jerry Springerish, God is never surprised. In fact, He is mysteriously able to work all things together for His people and His glory. So Amy Williams is a wife and boy mom and author and a writer slash storyteller for an advertising agency called Idea Ranch. And she's becoming an expert at finding God in her mess. And since breaking a dysfunctional cycle of nine failed marriages between her mother and grandmothers, Amy has also ignited a passion to help marriages thrive. Y'all, I don't know what else to tell you. There is a ton of great stuff in this episode. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Kristen and me for a chat with Amy. All right. Well, today I have two amazing women here with me. So I have Kristen and Amy and Kristen I've known for years. We've gotten to open churches together. You have just been like a staple, so steady and faithful, you and your husband throughout the years. And so, so fun to have an excuse to see you today. Thank you. It is so fun. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. And then we get to interview Miss Amy, who I'm just meeting, but I already love. Oh, so, good. Feelings mutual. Well, I am just honored to get to do life with Amy. And we have this precious group of women that we get to meet with on Fridays. And we read the word together. We talk about it throughout the week. And Amy is one of those people who will just, she's so creative. She pulls things out and highlights and reveals things to me that maybe didn't pop out the first time I read something. And so I love being able to do life with her and she's funny and I'm so glad to be here and get to listen to her story with you. For sure. I've heard highlights. So I'm excited to hear like the nitty gritty details. <laughs> Kristen's been here since the beginning to hear all the nitty gritty details. So how long have you guys been in this Bible study together? About five years. Five or six years. That's so cool. And it started just as that, like a Bible study. But I would say now we're so deeply connected that we're just it's really we more than do that. life without each other. I love that. I mean, that's super special. What do you think the key is to finding that? Starting? Making time, being intentional. Being vulnerable with each other and knowing we have attorney-client privilege. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we can share anything. Everyone reached out to us this morning. They're praying for us. We're going to walk through the mess together. We're going to celebrate together. It's amazing. I want what we have for every woman that I, that I meet. So you make time and then you've, I mean, it sounds like you've stuck with it. Yes. The story that Amy's about to share with you, when she first told us, 
it was during the pandemic. It was April of 2020. And we were missing each other so much. We had to make time. And do you remember how we weren't supposed to be meeting together, but we wanted to meet together so bad. So we were making space outside to meet. We met, we circled up our lawn chairs and sit down. And Amy says, I have to tell you all something. And so I can't wait for her to be able to share this, but I will always remember where I was when she she shared told you. this part of her life. Well, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And it is funny when we all did that. I mean, we had a Christmas like that with Derek's parents in lawn chairs spread out outside. It's so strange, but yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into everything, yes. we first just want to hear the basics about who you are, what you're all about. I am a wife and a mother to a 15-year-old son. We live out on 10 acres in a tiny Oklahoma town, same one as Kristen. I'm a writer for an ad agency and I've done copywriting my whole life. First, some cool companies, let's just say. Can you like throw them out there? Oh, sure. Um, Well, I do a lot of work for Folds of Honor and Carhartt and Under Armour and local people will know Utica Square, but those are just a few. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. And I've, I've read a lot of her book that we'll talk about later. And so I will just tell you, she's a fabulous writer. And from someone who does some writing... She really is. A That's great a huge compliment. <laughs> Thank you. God didn't give me a lot of, I mean, like I'm terrible at math. There are so many things I'm not good at. I'm so grateful that he did give me, I, even when I was little, I knew like, I was like, this is my lane. Even when I was probably in third grade. I'm but, terrible um, at math too. Yeah. And I can't sing. There's a lot of things that I'm not good at. Yeah. But it's good to know what you are good at. One other thing about me that I probably should share is I started calling it a couple of years ago that I'm an unintentional cougar. That's just the best way I can put it. My husband and I met 18 years ago. He lied about his age. (gasps) Yeah. That's his fault then. Right. But then I started liking him and he started really liking me. We were just talking over the phone and he realized, oh no, like I want this to go somewhere. So I'm going to have to tell (laughs) her. her. And when he texted me, I was mortified because I was 31. And when I found out he was 21, it felt one, it felt a little bit illegal. (laughs) It wasn't. It barely wasn't. And then I was just, my friends are going to find out. I never dated guys younger than me, not even a little bit. And so this was just mortifying. And um, I stopped taking his phone calls. And one day, it was weeks later, I was driving home from work and he called several times a day. And I finally picked up. And the first thing he said was, do you know how many fun things you're going to miss out on life if you have this many rules for yourself? And I thought, okay, that's worth a date. Yeah. And here we are 18 years later. And it was the best decision. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. We really are truly like we were when we first met. We're so in love. And I mean, we have the challenges of every marriage, but um, I finally have gotten over. I used to be so paranoid about it when we would go anywhere that people were looking at me and thinking cradle robber. I I don't let him shave his (laughs) facial hair because then I really do look like a cradle robber. But this year I'm turning 50 and he's turning 40 and he likes to complain about turning 40. And I'm like, you can just stop talking, bud. Like... (laughs) I'm the one that's having a milestone. You know what, though? I feel like women typically just as a whole age more gracefully than like guys can seem older. And so you probably look similar ages now or as you get older. They're super creative with date nights, too. Can you tell about your RV date night? RV date night. We started hashtag RV date night. So during COVID, one night he said, I want to go on a date and I know we can't, but I have an idea and I'm going to surprise you. And so he goes out to our RV and he had cut up all these, bless his heart, he had never made a charcuterie board. He couldn't even pronounce charcuterie. (laughs) My husband couldn't at first either. (laughs) Like, "Ah, nope, that's not how you say it. I get out there and he has Frank Sinatra. So it plays outside of the RV. So I hear the music as I'm walking up and he's got it all laid out there and he's got candles lit inside and the two captain chairs that, you know, we would sit in when we were driving, he's got them facing each other. And there was something about sitting face to face that, just enriched our conversation so much. And we would open up more about what was happening at work and just little details of our life that we wouldn't have maybe shared with each other just passing in the hallway or sitting on the couch. And it became something where it was every Tuesday and we looked forward to it. And we've changed it up a little bit since then because we sold our RV. So we have a little guest room upstairs. And now we kind of, you know, have little stringy lights that we put up there and we have date night upstairs. I mean, I think it's so, so fun. creative. I don't feel like that I'm always super creative. I mean, not always creative in that way, in a date night way. So that challenges me to do something different. What's your favorite thing that you've done? With date night? Mm-hmm. That's creative. 
it has to be. I mean, the RV was my favorite. And I told him, I said, I know we can't buy an RV just to have date night, <laughs> but I miss it so much. So you had one and then you we got had rid of one, it? And then we got rid of it. I mean, that's another thing about my husband. He buys and sells constantly. So there's always something new. But, you know, we will have date night on the front porch sometimes. Because we live in a small town, there's not a lot of options to go have date night. Mm-hmm. And driving into Tulsa just doesn't always seem appealing. And I don't know. I've gotten to where I crave charcuterie food once a week because of date night. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's important to figure out how to do those everyday things and stay connected. So. It's been huge. It takes out the unpredictability of our week when we know, even though it's something that's going to happen every week, dating each other after 18 years, it just, I never want to stop dating him because I never want to start just looking at him as a roommate. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think that's something that can happen without you even realizing it. Well, obviously, this is the messy table, and we want to hear a little bit about your background and your story. And I know you have some mess in it. So if you would, just give you us the story. So in December of 2019, my husband and I were planning to take a trip to Ireland. We thought we would go in May. We started doing some research and talking to travel agents. And I said, I, I think I want to take a DNA test to see how Irish I am. And that was all I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> And a couple months later, I get the test back. It was February of 2020. And I open it up and I see that I'm about 30% Irish. And I thought, cool. And I didn't even click on the family tree because I was not there to find out. I, I didn't have anything to find out, I thought. Shut down my computer and didn't look at it again for another month until St. Patrick's Day. And keep in mind, St. Patrick's Day was four days after the national COVID emergency was declared. And I thought, oh, I want to know what regions of Ireland I'm from since it's St. Patty's Day. And I pull that up and I see the parts I'm from. And I was like, that's cool. Oh, wait, there's a family tree tab. You know, maybe I have some distant cousins I don't know about. That was really all I was thinking. And I click on it and a little box pops up and says, I acknowledge that I can't unknow this information. And I thought, well, that's heavy, Mm. but that doesn't apply to me. Mm -hmm. I know who my family is. Click it. Like my heart's beating fast, just even thinking back to it. It pops up and it has these lines from my name. And then it's to another name that I've never heard. And it says father. And even though logically I know DNA is infallible, (laughs) I thought they messed up. Mm. They have taken my sample and traded it with someone else's. This is not real. Mm -hmm. Because you've had a dad in your life? Well, my mom and my dad divorced when I was five. I mean, he's been in my life and I love him very much, but we haven't had the traditional father-daughter relationship and the fact that my whole life I would see him maybe once or twice a year and talk to him a handful of times. So I see this name and I close my computer I went on a walk, I remember, and I was trying to clear my head and it was in the back of my mind, but I kept thinking this can't be true. My husband pulls up in the driveway and he had said from the beginning of meeting me, I mean, those are not your parents. It was a running joke. He would say, those two people don't add up to you. And we would all just laugh it off. He would say this in front of my mother. He would say this in front of my father and nobody thought anything of it. So when he got home and I pulled it up on my phone in the driveway and I showed it to him and he was so sweet and kind because I said, this is wrong, right? And I know he knew immediately, oh no, this is a hundred percent true. And I've always known it to be true. But he says, babe, let me go inside and I'll do some research and we'll figure this out. And he goes in and about a half hour later, he comes to me and says, okay, so They don't get DNA wrong, and that man shares 50% DNA with you, which means he's either your father or your son, and he's 74. And I always describe it as just being in a fog because it's like your ears start ringing. It's like things on the walls are moving. Mm -hmm. Nothing feels stable. Right. And very shocking. Oh, my world just flipped upside down. And so how old are you at this point? At that point, I was 46. Okay, so you've lived 46 years of your life just thinking, this is who I am. This is where I come from. And then suddenly you're like, nope. Right. But it was your mom. Yes. Yes, it was my mom. A couple hours after I walked, I'm sure I just walked circles around our property. 
I decided to call her and I don't know why, but I went into our mud room, maybe because it's messy and this is messy. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat down and I called her and she knew I was doing a DNA test and never was like alarmed. And I said, mom, um, so I got these. Re- <laughs> That's got to be an awkward phone call. The most awkward for both of us. Were you still thinking, though, that it might be still, wrong? Still, and I thought there was a chance. Yeah. Something like, surely was she'll say, this is crazy. Right. And I told her, I said, this can't be right, Mom, because I've never heard you say this person's name. And there was about 10 seconds of silence. And I am someone who will jump in and save someone in a conversation usually. But I just remember sitting because I thought, oh, the silence is telling me something. And she said, please don't hate me. And that's when I knew. And I want to also say that this past week when I told her I was going to have this conversation with you, she's so wonderful and kind and big hearted. And she said, that's great. And I told her, mom, I'm going to do my best. I want to honor you and respect you in this conversation. And she said, Amy, I didn't even think about that. She said, don't sugarcoat it. This is your story. And it was so long ago. Yes. Yes. And so she, you know, turned out that they were neighbors back in 1972. And a little bit of background there, they both, the more I learned about him, I put this together. So they were both abandoned as babies, which is pretty strange. Mm -hmm. And they end up as neighbors and the brokenness of abandonment issues, I'm sure played into all of this. They were not happy in their marriages. They didn't feel connected to their spouses at that time. And they found comfort with each other, which obviously is not what God intended. But in that brokenness, you know, secrets come up you know, when an affair is involved and the secret that just ensued was I didn't get to know my dad till I was 46. Right. I called him the next day. I paid $5 on white pages to get his phone number. Oh my goodness. I didn't know. Oh, I guess I did. But right before that, I found out that they only lived an hour and 20 minutes away from me. So there's a definite shock of not only do I have these people that I should know, but they've been an hour and 20 minutes from me for decades. Mm -hmm. I call him. I was putting it off and my husband said, you're eventually going to call him. Just go ahead and get it over with. And it was noon the next day after I'd found out. And he was in Mexico on vacation with his wife, who's not the one he was married to when he was with my mom. Okay. I'm on like pins and needles. (laughs) What are you going to say to him? And I, my first thought is I don't want him to think I'm a telemarketer. So I said, hi, do you know? And I said my parents' names. And of course he did because they were neighbors at one point and he's a home builder and he had actually built their home for them. So he says, yeah. And I said, okay, so 23andMe is saying that you and I share 50% DNA and that you're my father. And he got quiet and he said, wow. Okay. He didn't argue at all. He did. And I've heard many people in this situation get a lot of pushback. Like it's untrue. I don't believe it. But he, he kept saying, wow. And he said, how old are you? And I told him and he said, I could hear the math, you know, going on in his head almost. And he said, yep. Okay. Well, do you know that you have two siblings then? And my sister that I just found out about, uh, is seven months younger than me. And my brother is five years older than me. So that was big news. Yeah. Obviously half. We lived in the same town for my first six years just across town. And later we find out she and I went to the same dance studio. We found these pictures of both of us in kindergarten. And we're wearing the exact same green turtleneck with a plaid A on it with an apple. Crazy. Crazy. Wow. Okay. So... (laughs) I'm like processing. So was he still your neighbor when you were born? No. They moved. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, he had so moved. he never had any, like, did they ever run into each other? They did. And he never thought like, oh, this could be my kid. He says he didn't. You know, there weren't DNA tests back then. So even if my mom thought it's his. Which it doesn't really sound like she She didn't. She didn't about think it. so. She thought I was her husband's. There was no way to even clarify. I mean, I think, and I brought a picture to show you, but 
once I was older, the resemblance is uncanny. Mm -hmm. And I had grown up wanting to look like someone my whole life. My mother is beautiful, but I really resemble her very little. And my dad, <laughs> I'd, I'd always thought, oh, how cool would it be to look like a mixture of your parents? And I would be jealous of people who did. And then once I met my dad, I mean, he has three kids and my brother and sister both say, you look more like him than we do. I, I'm wow. a spitting image. Really? Yes. One of the first things she did was send us a side-by-side picture of her with her dad. The resemblance is incredible. And you talked about how you're older, 10 years older than Brett, but the similarities go way beyond you and your sister wearing oh. the same outfit. Like talk a little bit about the other similarities that oh, I just got goosebumps again. So we're seven months apart. Our husbands are incredibly similar. Hers is eight years younger than her. Mine's 10 years mm-hmm. younger than me. We both have one son. We were pregnant at the same time and they were born a month apart. Wow. That's crazy. Now I know you're probably going to get there, but like what happened next? Did you see each other in person? Did you meet your siblings? Like, are you close now? I, all the things. Okay. So when I was on the phone call with my dad and we probably talked, maybe it was, I feel like it was less than 10 minutes. I was the one that cut the conversation off. I said, I've had almost 24 hours to deal with this. I realize you're just not hearing this. So I'm going to give you some time. And if you want to call me and talk later, And he said, okay, he said, but when I get back to the States, would you be willing to have coffee? Which was so encouraging because I didn't know how he was going to receive this. And you're still processing. Like you said, it had been like 24 hours for you. So you still have to be in shock. And I thought, well, he said, we'll be in Mexico for another month. Well, then they were told they had to fly back because of COVID. Everybody had to come back to country. So he came back that next weekend, but we couldn't see each other because he is or was 74. COVID, there was no way we were going to see each other. We waited until I think it was May, the first time we met. There was a lot of phone calls and FaceTiming. One thing I did find out about him that was a little bit hard is he has macular degeneration and it's pretty advanced. So I thought, oh, he's not going to be able to see me and his grandson. But he has some periphery vision. So he's able to drive a golf cart around. They live on the lake and um, he can do that and he can see that way. So, I mean, I'll never know to what degree he can see, but he gets around his house fine. He doesn't have any trouble doing that. But I remember being a little sad that maybe we wouldn't be able to fully see each other. So he comes back early and he said, would you mind if I tell your brother and sister? And I said, well, I'm definitely not calling these people that I have never met in my life and dropping this on them. There is no way you go right ahead. And he first told my sister and I don't know how I would have reacted had I been in her shoes, but she is so close to dad. I call him dad. I can get into that, but, um, she's so close to him that I could have seen her being protective and maybe territorial. Mm -hmm. And she has been so gracious she wants us to get to know each other. And even when we're in a setting where there's all of us there, both of my siblings make space so that I can sit next to dad. And they immediately, we want you there at Thanksgiving. We want you to know him. And there was no jealousy. Wow. Yeah. Which was so generous, I thought. Yes. Very, very remarkable. And my, uh, my new sister, we did a lot of FaceTiming in the beginning and just sharing stories and her telling me about him and what he was like as a dad, which was awesome to hear, but also hard because he was there at every event. He is so compassionate and affectionate and present. And they are, they all live within a couple of miles of each other. They see each other all the time. You know, I would see a picture of the three of them when they were little and I would project myself into the picture And think, what would that have been like to know them growing up and to have his presence in my life growing up? So it's been it's been bittersweet. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Which what a gift that, you know, now and don't go the rest of your life never knowing. So many people find out and then they realize that the person has already passed away. And I I'm so grateful for the time I have with him. Um, I've had to work through that because I feel like I. I've missed so much, but we've really tried to pack in a lot of time together. And 
he has just been so welcoming. His whole family has been. And we've taken him on his birthday trips the past couple of years. We've taken him fishing or it's just a getaway for the siblings and him, which is just so rich for me emotionally to be with them. And um, they don't make me feel like the new addition or the outsider at all. Mm-hmm. And do you think it helps that their parents are no longer married? Helps is probably a weird way to put it. But yes. maybe there's not that like, yes. oh my gosh. Yes. I'm sure that would be a huge point of contention if that had been the case. And it wouldn't have been as easy to weave me into their lives. But um, it's been an evolving thing. And sometimes it's a roller coaster of emotions where I'll be super excited about having these new people in my life. And then sometimes I'll have these setbacks to where I think, well, what if, um, what if I'd known him sooner or shouldn't I have known him sooner? And God, what did I miss out on? And why did you allow me to go this long without finding him? Um, right, right. And he could have let me go until forever without finding him. And he didn't. So this feels like a gift. And that's one thing that really stood out to me is thinking through like the even in brokenness, God still gives good gifts. Yes. And that is true for every situation. One very vivid memory I have is a couple of months into it, and he and I would have these long conversations on the phone, which I found out later. He doesn't do long phone conversations with anybody. His wife of 25 years, she said, I always know when he's talking to you because he stays on the phone a long time. Mm -hmm. And usually he's off within two minutes with other people. And that meant a lot. But we were just trying to get to know each other. And I was walking on my gravel driveway, I remember, and we were about to get off the phone. And he said, Amy... I love you. And I got out. I love you too. But I remember hanging up and I just fell to my knees in the driveway. And it just felt like the most generous gift from God to get to hear those words from him. And I just felt so wanted and like it wasn't a shameful thing because it is easy to work up in your mind, oh, wait, I'm the child of an affair. And what does that even mean? But, you know, I even in the Bible, it jumps out to me now. We were studying First and Second Corinthians and it was talking about Solomon. I'm like, wait, Solomon was a child of an affair, you know, and that is our earthly identity. But when I'm reminded of my eternal identity as a child of God, then all of this seems manageable. It doesn't seem so heavy that maybe I would have had a different last name or I would have all these experiences that I missed out on. I mean, I was going to wait to get into this part later, but it's just it's so relevant. So our Bible study group in January, we will pick a verse for the year or a word for the year. And in 2020, we were going to pick a scripture. And I thought, okay, well, I don't really have one that I want to write down specifically, I don't have one on my heart. But then this one verse just kept coming at me from different angles and different people and places. And I thought, okay, Lord, this verse doesn't make any sense to be special for this year, but I went ahead and wrote it down. And then, you know, two months later, I find out about this. And I'm kind of in a bit of a tailspin of who am I? And what does this mean? And what if and what if and what if? Yeah. And God brought me right back to that verse. It's Psalm 139.16, which is Your eyes saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And that verse was such a gift. And it just shut down all the what ifs because this is how it was always going to be. Mm -hmm. God knew that this was going to be my story before I was born. And by giving me that verse before this even happened, I feel like he was gently that was one of those signs, like, it's going to be okay. I had you in the beginning, and I have you right now. And I've had to come back and rely on that verse a lot over the past three years. Man. Whew. So talk about the, the conversation that you needed to have with your first dad and kind of how you wrestled with that. And it, this whole story is just full of grace in so many ways. You see God's hand mm-hmm. over it, but Tell us about what that was like calling your first dad. So we struggled a little bit over how to tell him. There were even people in my life that said, don't tell him. And I thought, oh, no, because if he found out and it wasn't from us, I just wasn't going to allow that to happen. And my mom and I went back and forth on how it should be. And we finally landed that this happened 
before me. This is their discussion to have, really. So she was going to call him. And I just remember being on my bathroom floor, sitting there, because when I cry, I don't like people to be around. And my husband (laughs) and my son were in the living room watching TV. And so I just went in there and I wept because I knew she was about to call him. She had told me. And I was so worried about his heart because in, in one way, even though he'll never lose me, it felt like other people in the story were gaining some things and he was losing this knowledge that I was his biological child. And so I just really was concerned about his heart and I knew it was going to be really hard on my mom. And I just wept. And it was one of those times where I didn't have the words and I just threw my slobber and, you know, all of it. I just kept saying Jesus. And that's all I could do. I just kept crying out to Jesus. And I was trusting the Holy Spirit to translate what I needed. And probably 20 minutes went by and my mom called me and she was bawling and she relayed the conversation. Um, She had to repeat herself a couple of times because he couldn't understand her. She was crying so hard. And the guilt, the guilt she experienced, um, we've moved past that, but it was really hard on her in the beginning. And she told him and his response. So when they were married, he was not a Christian. He got saved after that. And he really is a different person. And his response to her was, okay, I don't like hearing this, obviously, but this changes nothing for me. Amy will always be my daughter. Jack will always be my grandson. And he said, and don't beat yourself up. He said, I started all of that, meaning the unfaithfulness. So he said, I have no rocks to throw. So I just don't think he would have responded that way if he hadn't walked with the Lord for the past 35 years. Right. And he has not treated me differently at all. There's been no change. I mean, he just, he loves us just as much. And I mean, he, he doesn't even press me on. So have you met him? Do you know him? Because I think he knows it doesn't matter to his relationship with me. And that would be a very awkward conversation to try to explain how I'm getting to know them. That's really a different story. But pretty early on after finding out my biological father, he said, would you be okay with calling me dad? And again, I... I needed to hear that so badly that I was truly accepted as his daughter. And so I do. There's in our house, we call one is pops and one is pappy. And that's how we keep it straight. (laughs) That's good. That's good. So how has some of this translated into your relationship with your heavenly father? I know it's very different, obviously, but there are some things with identity and acceptance that I would think have to overlap. 100%. It is only deep in my relationship with God. And I see his hand throughout my life. But especially with this, just anytime it feels like the waves are crashing and it's becoming too much, I just lift my eyes up. Actually, I feel like he lifts my, he lifts my eyes up and he's like, I've got you. Yes, this whole thing with your father is complicated, but it's never been complicated with me. It's always been secure. And this changes nothing on where you will be for eternity. I was sitting on my uh, porch, and this was a couple of years before it happened. And I think a lot of people struggle with this. God doesn't audibly talk to me all the time by any stretch. He speaks to me through people and through his word and the Holy Spirit. But I just was sitting on my porch and it was quiet. And I was looking out at the trees and listening to the birds. And in my spirit, these words just came to me and they weren't mine. And it was, you are loved, now be loved. And in my head, you know, I know God loves me, but receiving that love has always felt a little bit foreign. And I think part of that was my complicated relationship with my father growing up. Just the fact that there was this, we didn't know each other terribly well. And he went on to live with his new wife and family. And I was desperate for that connection. And God was always the the anchor throughout that. And I just the fact that he was so kind to be like, I know this is late in life, but I know you so desperately need to feel this connection. And he brought us together. I mean, my dad, my biological father, he wasn't on 23andMe to find a child. He didn't know. 
he was on there to find his dad because he never knew him. And he knew at his age, he wasn't going to find a father who was still living, but he just wanted to know, you know, what was my last name? What was my lineage? He didn't know his. And so you see the brokenness that lasts over generations. And so much of this has been me calling upon God's name to break generational curses. It's very redemptive. Right. And I look at my son and I just want better for him. And he, he has watched me walk through this and I feel like it will be a testimony to him. I mean, he's 15 and he's been watching this since he was 12. And I think his understanding of what happened has grown as he's gotten a little bit older. Yeah. We didn't want to get into the messiness of it when he was 12. It's just got a new grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, I bet that was complicated. More Christmas presents. Hey, let's look at it that way. Let's look on the bright side. Right. You have a, a new cousin that you're one month apart and, you know, they enjoy each other's company. But I can't imagine what it would be to go through this and not be rooted in the truth of God, I would have just been tossed around to the point where it would have, it could have possibly affected my marriage in a negative way, my parenting, because it would have felt like nothing was real, but God is real. Right. So Amy, what would you say to someone who feels like they have a a shaken identity and they're searching for answers about where they belong and, and who they are? What advice would you give to them? I would say to allow yourself to feel the confusion. I I really had to show myself some grace because my feelings were all over the place. And I was having some negative feelings. And I'm a pretty upbeat, optimistic Enneagram 7. That's right. (laughs) I don't like to dip into the low emotions. I had to allow myself. This is traumatic. Yeah. Kind of felt a bit like a car crash and that I was just standing there looking at the wreckage. But the car crash had happened before I was born. (laughs) And I had no choice in the matter, but I was left to deal with all the wreckage. So you need to give yourself a lot of grace to feel all the feelings and not judge yourself for the feelings. Definitely not to stay there. Our identity, so often people will say their identity is in their job or who they're married to, or maybe they have a family last name that they are proud of. But there are so many reasons that we need God minute by minute. And one of them is just to be reminded of who we are and that he does place other people in our life. I feel like to help us round out our identity, whether it's through supportive friends, it's people that you might not even expect that come into your life that just remind you who you are and what is important, but it has to come back to your connection with God because Humans are fallible and they are going to fail us. It doesn't matter how great they are. And if you put all of your trust and all of your hope in those relationships, you are going to feel adrift and you're going to feel let down. And God is just immovable. And he feels like this mountain, this majestic mountain to me. And he's saying, I've always been here and I am unchanging. And the wind may be blowing around you and leaves may be stirring, but just keep your eyes on me. It is just so important to identify yourself first and foremost as a child of God, because nobody can take that away from you. There is no test that's going to reveal that you are not a child of God. Mm, That is secure and that is forever. That's so good. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that even though this is extremely complicated and messy, that this is a bit of a success story in this realm. I mean, I'm sure there's people that don't have such good luck. I am on a group on Facebook and I can share the group um, later on, but it's basically a support group for people who have these surprises. And um, there's about 9,000 people in the group. It just shows you how common this is. But the story is rarely as positive as mine. Mm -hmm. There's usually someone who will deny the results or the person has already passed and you don't get to know them. Or there are siblings who are jealous or a mother who will say, I didn't do that. And if you choose to get to know them, I will disown you. Mm -hmm. And my mother, if anything, has been so kind I've missed, you know, early on, I kind of missed some family events at my mom's because I was going to his house to try to get to know them. And not once does she try to make me feel guilty. She would just say, oh, I'm so glad you're getting to be together and get to know each other. Yeah, it takes a lot of humility and strength. So that's amazing. She's been so great. She and my sister. So I have another sister 
uh, Paige, who I've grown up with, she's 13 years younger than me. But she too, I mean, this could have felt threatening to her in some way. Oh, you're getting these new siblings. And, you know, just everybody has been pretty selfless, I would say. Yeah, sounds like it. Just allowing me to navigate this. And it is a slow navigation. I'm still in it. I imagine I kind of always will be. Mm -hmm. The sister that I just found about, we'll, we'll text each other and, you know, I sent her these two, we had our colors done, which I know is a very frivolous thing to do, but <laughs> it was a kind of a sister bonding thing. And we found out we are the same, not just the same season, but the same sub season, which was just another confirmation cool. type thing. And so one day I sent her a text and I said, Hey, these lipsticks are good for our colors. And I bought them and I love them. And she sends me back a text and she's already has the exact suit too <laughs> in her purse. That's cool. And those are small things, but it's a sisterly thing. And while I wish we could have known each other when we were pregnant at the same time and gone through that together, I mean, that would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. And just our boys, they met when they were 12, but I would have loved to have them know each other when they were little. But again, I just have to come back to this was always going to be when I found out. And I don't know why that is. I can't wait for God to tell me someday. Man, I, you know, the Bible is full of such brokenness that if we could go back and do a DNA test on like basically human history, there would be a lot of secrets and a lot of surprises. I Absolutely. have a feeling. Okay. But now you're like super passionate about marriage mm -hmm. and kind of setting this new foundation for generations to come. Yes. And so just kind of peel back some layers and let us in on your heart and some of that. Yeah. I had a very low opinion of marriages for obvious reasons, seeing my whole life, I thought that divorce was just something you expected because it was inevitable. So like you said, there's the nine divorces just between my mom and my two grandmas. That's not counting the men and their uh, marriages. So when I met my husband, he proposed and there was such hope in his eyes. And I thought, you know, I love him so much. What if, you know, what if we were different than all I've seen. So I thought I'd give it a shot. But I remember sitting in our pastor's office doing premarital counseling. And he said, okay, so we need to take divorce off the table. And my fiance at the time, my husband, who's my fiance at the time nods. Yep. Like, yep. And I'm super disoriented. I'm thinking, what do you mean? Take it off the table. It's always on the table. But I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in. So we get married. And the first year was really rough. It was a struggle for power. I, looking back, it was very clear that's what it was. But you have to see, he was 22, I was 32. And I'm thinking, oh, I have all the reasons in the world to be in charge in this marriage. I'm older. I have more education. I've lived more places. I have more experiences. At the time, I was making more money. So it's like, well, yeah, Lord, I know you wrote those scriptures, but those don't apply to me. Surely not, because why would I hand over control to someone who's 10 years younger than me? And so one day I was washing dishes and I just remember thinking, we're about headed for an off ramp. I can feel it. This is not good. And I thought, okay, God, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to try it your way because I've never seen my, you know, my mom or my grandma's try it that way. So why not? Yeah. I'll give it a shot. And I didn't tell my husband that's what I was going to do. And so, about six months went by and I was looking around like waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, it can't be this good. It can't be this easy. And I told him, I said, do you, have you noticed a difference in our marriage? And he said, yeah, I just didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, I said, well, I made a decision. Me and God had a conversation about six months ago. And this is what I've been doing. And I said, and I don't know if you've realized it, but it's changed how you treat me. And he said, Oh, it's so much easier for me to be who you need me to be when you are following God's. I, he, if someone has to start the cycle, usually nobody wants to between they're supposed to love us and protect us. And we're supposed to respect them. And it just kept getting better and better and better. At the beginning, I thought, but God, he doesn't deserve me to treat him this way all the time. And boy, God really got a hold of my heart. And he's like, it's not about him deserving it. It's about you submitting to me and being obedient to me. Mm -hmm. And once I looked at it that way, because I could always find an excuse not to be submissive if I was waiting for him to be perfect, because he's never going to be. So I started and our marriage is, I love our marriage. I 
didn't even know I could be this happy. I didn't know it could be this way. I'd never seen any marriage be this good. And one day I was cleaning a toilet. God really uses menial tasks when, to speak to me. You've been on the bathroom floor a couple of times in this conversation. I know. <laughs> hey, I hear you. I hear you. I was cleaning a toilet and he just flooded my brain and my heart. And it, I felt like a balloon that was about to pop. I needed a release valve. And this was 10 years ago. And I was like, what is all, what is going on here? And I just knew I had to type it out. And I'm typing so fast. And Brett looks at me and says, what's going on? And I said, I don't know, but you need to take care of Jack because Jack was little at the time. I said, I just got to get this out or I'm going to go crazy. I couldn't even get up to get a drink before God was pulling me back to my computer. And at the end of it, I was like, what is this, God? Nobody wants to read about submission. <laughs> I mean, nobody is the Googling. S word. Right, the S word. And, and you I, actually wrote a book about it. I did. And I thought, well, submission is for people who are meek, naturally meek, and don't have strong opinions like <laughs> I do. How does submission look for me? And I realized God wanted me to share this testimony and book because I did have all the excuses not to do it. And he was so... And you had seen how it hadn't worked out oh, if, that was, if you didn't do it God's way. If I hadn't, the cycle would have continued. My son would be in a broken family and... And all the grace for broken families. Absolutely. Oh, We're all broken in lots 100%. of ways. But I do think there's a beauty to saying, okay, Lord, how did you design it? How does life work best? And then how can I step into that and really you know, see the fruit of how he designed marriage? He really showed me. I, I remember hearing my husband tell his boss, I don't like to fight with Amy because she's so good at it. And that he would think that's a little bit of a compliment, but I was <laughs> backhanded <laughs> compliment. I was like, oh, no. And it was my words because I don't know if part of it is being a writer or a communicator, but boy, I could tear him to the quick and I knew how to. And I was breaking him down our first year of marriage. And now I build him up at any chance I get because I've come to realize when it says the two become one, anytime I build him up or pray for him, I'm really building myself up and praying for myself because it is all so interconnected. It is. Yeah. I actually have your book here in front of me, which a friend who connected us on this podcast, not only Kristen, but also our friend Anita, who's awesome. Shout out to Anita. Dropped off your book. Uh, a couple days ago. And I mean, it's truly so conversational and such an easy read. It's not a huge book, but it is just packed with wisdom. And I know you said you wrote it 10 years ago. We were talking mm -hmm. before and you're like, there's some things I might've written differently, but I mean, it's packed with so much scripture and just genuine thoughts and then how to like tangibly walk these things out and live them out in marriage. It's so good. But I have a highlight here that said, remember, you cannot hurt your husband without hurting yourself. The good news is the reverse is also true. You cannot bless your husband without blessing yourself. And I thought that was so good because even the scripture that gets a bad rap about wives submitting to your husbands, actually it talks about first submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on to say, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So our call is to submit and you can read this book and find out more about what that means, but their call is to die. Right. Us. And so, you know, I think wives or that call to submit can get a bad rap, but it's like, man, I think their call is actually harder. And you throw out a disclaimer in your book. Obviously, if someone is in an unhealthy, abusive marriage, first things first, get safe and mm -hmm. then get help. Yes. Anyway, I just think it's so good, so powerful. What else would you have to say about all of this? That I found real freedom in submission. I did not expect that. I thought it was just going to be like this drudgery of forcing myself to swallow my pride and handing him control. And that's not how it's been at all. It has been so freeing. I feel like God has shown me how I can really blossom into who I'm supposed to be when I'm not fighting for a position I was never meant to have. Because as women, we like to take on all the responsibility. And that includes we take on a lot of the authority that was not meant to be ours. And it ends up wearing us down. Mm. I've just found so much freedom in doing it God's way. And it was never meant as a punishment. Yeah, it's not sit down and shut up. No, no. I mean, if anything, because I have submitted to my husband, 
he values my opinion that much more because he comes to me and asks for it instead of me just beating him over the head with it and, you know, trying to prove my position is right and his is wrong. He very, I mean, we make decisions together, but with the knowledge that I know I'm going to, at some point in the conversation, tell him, but again, I trust you. I trust you with this and I trust God to take care of me as I trust you with this. God blesses our obedience and that can manifest in so many ways in our life. But obedience and submitting to your husband, I just, anyone listening who is struggling in their marriage, if you're like me, you need to realize that the way you're doing it isn't working. So truly, what could it hurt to try God's way? Mm -hmm. Your husband will notice, even if you don't tell him what you're doing, there are blessings God is waiting to give us on the other side of obedience. In our case, we just, we have such a fun, thriving marriage. And I look forward to seeing him at the end of each day, which sounds ridiculous after 18 years, but it's just true. And it's so good for our son. He sees how affectionate we are, how there's just an intimacy and a trust. And I hope that by witnessing that his whole life, that he won't settle for anything less than that. And my mom will even point it out. She, at one point, I remember she said, I wish I would have had your book to read when I was uh, in my 20s. I love that. <laughs> but she's so thankful that Jack, our son, he starts ahead of where I did. And I start ahead of where she did. And it's just building in the right direction, but always toward God. Absolutely. And it is so, the world is constantly throwing lies at us. You know, it's all about you and be independent and don't let any man tell you what to do and I just think that is such a false idol. And if you chase that, you'll come up with just dust and ashes. There won't be any beauty there if you try the world's route. Mm -hmm. And done well in a healthy way, I think women can truly feel so empowered to live out their God-given identity. Now, real quick, let's touch on whenever things maybe aren't healthy. Maybe it's not abusive, but it's just it's not that great. But say someone listening, like, I, I want to have a healthy marriage. I want him to, you know, give his life for me. I want to submit to him, but he's hard to submit to. What would you advise? Okay. Yes. Cause I have friends in this exact situation, whether it's that they are a believer and their husband isn't, or they have decided to do it God's way and their husband is not responding to that. But we are safe. I believe we are safest and most joyful when we are in the center of God's will. And sometimes it's not going to look, it's not going to be the fruit immediate, like, oh, your, your marriage is perfect overnight. That's not it. Mm -hmm. But you cannot make your husband do anything. That's between him and God. All you can do is trust God and do your part. And I mean, so many times I've seen this where the wife will start the process and the husband will get on board. Now, the timeline on that is never guaranteed. But I have to say, even if it doesn't end up with this amazing marriage, your relationship with God is strengthened and you are stronger because of it. And I just can't imagine a world where your marriage, no matter what it looks like, is going to thrive without him. So I have another highlight here that is kind of what you're talking about. So I'm just going to say it. So it says, thankfully, we don't have to wait for them to be perfect before we can be obedient to God. A genuine breakthrough in our attitude, behavior, and marriage requires grabbing hold of this truth. Biblical submission is not a reaction to or dependent upon our husband's behavior. It is obedience to our father's command. More simply, it's not about your husband deserving it. It's about God deserving it. I thought, oh, that's so good. Yeah. No matter what someone's response is, like we can obey God. We can honor him through our relationship. Yes. When two people are going to be defiant in a marriage, there's going to be no success at all. I just, I've seen friends who've done this and it's like when they are more vulnerable with their husband and trusting to them, their husbands, it's like it snaps them out of this. I don't know how to explain it. They realize that the decision, if it falls in their court and they are the one that's being put in charge of that situation, that the ramifications are there as well. And then they, their desire is to protect you more when they see you being vulnerable and trusting them with these decisions. And I have to say, there are times when I've trusted Brett with a decision and let him make the final call. And maybe it proves to be true that it would have been better the way I did it. <laughs> but I would rather that decision not have gone well 
but my marriage is still strong and intact because I did show that I trust him. My trust in him and him knowing that I trust him is more important than me being right about that one thing. I wouldn't say I'm a control freak, but I have had to just slowly learn what it looks like to trust. And it it really is freeing. And it makes you realize that (laughs) I know this is not a big revelation, but God wants to take care of us, but we have our fists closed. We're like, I have the reins, God. And when we live open-handed, it's scary. Mm -hmm. But then we put God in a position and our husband's in a position to come through for us and just surprise us with their generosity and their love. Mm-hmm. It's with our our whole heart. One of the first chapters of your book talked about loving God with your whole heart. What we've been studying recently in First and Second Chronicles were the kings that chose to follow God, and they did so wholeheartedly. And I just see you doing that, and that's what He wants. That's what we have to give in order to choose to be obedient. And that has just been popping up lately. Wholeheartedness, and, uh, yes. the importance of it. Because there's there's the scripture about, you know, having a divided mind or a divided heart. And God tells you to, you know, go back and come back to me with a whole heart, basically. And it's not like I have it all figured out. I have to pick up my book every once in a while and remind myself of it and read those scriptures. Right, totally. Um, well, I love that even with you being a strong, creative, independent woman, like you have been able to really feel empowered and thrive through this. So is this available on Amazon? It is. It is. It really is. It's a short read and it's power packed. So thank you. Um, I've had friends who knew me growing up and (laughs) they've told me, okay, of all the people in the world that I would have guessed to be submissive, you are not it. I guess that's how God works. Yep. It's actually called Why Is She Smiling? I don't think I yes. said the why, title. Why Is She Smiling? Unexpected Joy Discovered by a Most Unlikely Submissive Wife. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. Any other resources that you want everyone yes. to know about? Okay. So in addition to, so the Bible study that uh, Kristen and I do with our group every Friday is She Reads Truth and it is just straight scripture. We absolutely love it. Um, we Marco Polo each other throughout the week with just revelations and insights. And it has been so good for us. So um, I would just, I, like Kristen was saying, we want for every woman out there, what we have this community that we've created. And sometimes we'll get together and we won't even discuss the scripture, but it's that fellowship and knowing that on Monday, Tuesday, all these days, we're reading the same scriptures. There's something about just that knowledge is so helpful. And then on Facebook, if you know somebody who is going through a DNA surprise of some sort, or you are, I would suggest looking up DNA NPE friends. NPE stands for non-paternal event. And there are, like I said, 9,000 people in this group. I cannot tell you it's going to be a completely godly atmosphere because it's people from <laughs> all walks. Yeah. But there is encouragement and people cheering you on. Yeah, going through the same thing. Yes. And you just feel less alone. It was a great resource, especially for me early on. I would get on there and just read other people's stories and feel seen and understood. And it's a place to vent without having to open up too much. It's a good environment I've found to be. I dip into it less now because sometimes rereading those stories of other people throws me right back into the beginning of it when it was so hard on my heart. And I have to protect myself from that. And then I have a praise playlist that has about 150 songs on Spotify that I've put together. And Mm. I love it when I don't know what to say to God, or I don't know what to pray. And I put it on and so many of the lyrics speak to me and I just sing them back to God. It is, it's been a real blessing. I always love a good Spotify playlist. We might have to steal that from you. Link it up. (laughs) I would love that. Amy, thank you so much for sharing this story. I love each time I get to hear it. And I'm so glad that God chose this time for you to share it with everyone. And what final word of encouragement would you give to everyone listening? So a verse that I have loved my whole life, it's in Matthew 16, I believe it's verses four through 16. It has really served me well in this time. And I think it applies to anybody going through something confusing or hard or overwhelming. And it's it's when Jesus was walking with his disciples and he asked them, you know, who do people say I am? And they say, oh, Elijah, or John the Baptist. And he says, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter responds with, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And I just think that is the most important question we can ask ourselves day by day. And in these hard times, I have had to look at God in the face and he says, who do you say that I am? I know things seem overwhelming and crazy and out of your hands, but who do you say I am? And when I remind myself that he is my savior and my redeemer and wonderful counselor and almighty God and everlasting father, when I remember who he is, I know everything else is going to be okay. So I would just encourage anyone, no matter who you are in this story or yours, like in mine, whether you were the one who was unfaithful or you were the spouse that was betrayed or you were the child who feels like you were in the dark for most of your life, Invite God into it and just remind yourself who He is because He can redeem it. And, you know, sometimes we want to hold God at arm's length because we think it's too messy where we're sitting and He will walk right down in the mud and He doesn't even see the mud because He's got His eyes on you and that's all He cares about. Your story is so unique, but I also think it really translates to everyone thinking about our identity and who we are and who we are in Christ. And so thank you for these important reminders. I'm so glad we got to chat. Me too. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, again, I just want to thank Kristen and our other friend, Anita, for introducing us all to Amy. And heads up, any resources mentioned will be linked in the conversation notes. You can also connect with us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast and subscribe to this podcast for free wherever you like to stream, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or Stitcher. And let me just tell you, the benefit of subscribing is that when a new episode goes live, you don't have to go looking for it or keep track on your calendar. It just comes straight to your phone on what I like to call a happy podcast day. And last but certainly not least, as you head back into your world and into your week, don't forget that yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.